0: Hello and welcome to the Rogue Ministry Podcast. This is Justin Berenger, the Rogue Minister, and I'm here with my co-host.
1: This is Rachel, the creator of Speech Strong Resources.
0: And together we are co-founders of Diapers, Etc. And of course, host of the Rogue Ministry Podcast, Creating and Sustaining Faithful Ministries. Hopefully, churches, Christian people can find a way I don't like to use the language of capitalized but but ways to 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 respond to this that'll help mm. those relationships continue on when everybody mm-hmm. you know when things get back to whatever a normal is or you know all that that churches can can be thinking now okay so how do we keep the right. neighbors so my wife and I for instance have talked about like you know, maybe putting a table out in our front yard and and giving out produce from from our church's community garden and farm, you know, yeah. and, and just sitting out there once a week or something. So we'll get to meet the neighbors, but that's something we wouldn't have thought about
1: had yeah.
0: all this yeah. time. Yeah. Which I think gets all that so that comes all the way back to sort of the beginning of your work, it sounds like to me is that unless unless one is open and unless one is i don't know forced might be too strong of a word but but challenged then they're not going to necessarily open up mm. to these create creative yeah. new ideas is that
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah I, I think
1: i think it gets back to to this idea of the boundary zone Um, So so the boundary zone is simultaneously uh, a point of crisis and also a point of creativity. Um, And those aren't mutually exclusive options. Like it's both and it Mm -hmm. is both a crisis and an opportunity for a creativity. Mm -hmm. And um, for these communities in the Northwest, like the crisis is real. The crisis is real. Like the, the landscape of religion, and the region, the landscape, and the resources that support religious organizations are changing and have changed. Mm-hmm. And people of faith and those who serve them have to imagine new ways to connect, new ways to gather, new ways to lead. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, it's an opportunity for creativity. And um, there's just an abundance of creative expressions that are happening all over the place. Um, but But one of the things that became really clear over the course of the research, is that that the creativity doesn't happen in isolation. Um, mm-hmm. It's not as if somebody is laying in bed, wakes up in the middle of the night, has this mm-hmm. brilliant idea, writes it down on paper, and like that's what creat- creativity looks like. Yeah, like yeah. creativity actually emerges um, in proximity to place and in connection to a broader community. Um, yeah. So it's out of this rich network of relationships. Um, and then secondly it emerges out of a rich network of organizational relationships. So I, I describe this as kind of the ecclesial ecology, um, where like the, the vitality of these adaptive expressions, uh, is enhanced because there's existing partnerships between local congregations, educational institutions, philanthropic centers, nonprofits, kind of new church movements. And there's this, this kind of ecology of connection and care. And out of that, it creates these, um, the conditions for these type of adaptive, faith-filled, innovative expressions to emerge. Um, yeah. If you don't have the individual connections, and if you don't have the organizational connections, um, the opportunity for creativity and vitality diminishes significantly. But when those are combined, and there's a particular imagination, um, and I think about this as kind of an ecclesial imagination, There's a chance to be creative and innovative, um, and faithful ways.
0: So I'm I'm curious um, about what this imagination looks like Mm. because I I could see um, one way I sort of picture it is a group of people in a room and some guy or some lady has a marker and there's a whiteboard and everybody's hollering out, you know. Yeah. We should try this, or we, you know, um, let, let's do this thing. Um, but I'm, I'm just curious on what you found, how this imagination, this collaborative. What are some of the ways that that specifically was happening?
1: Yeah, yeah. Maybe um, if it's okay with you, maybe we I can talk about this in terms of kind of different forms of leadership. Yeah, uh, because oftentimes you know you think about. of the practical outcomes of imagination is how do you get things done um and and that's that's good and helpful um and i think it's also important to think about like imagination as necessary linked to like how we lead and serve in communities um Mm -hmm. so there's my advisor craig dykstra talked about this as pastoral and ecclesial imagination um so it's this idea that that religious leadership pastor in the pastoral vocation always takes place in relation to a local community, so the local community calls forth pastoral imagination, um, and pastoral imagination calls forth the imagination of a local community. Um, so, so I saw this play out in a whole whole host of ways. Um, but as I talked to people across the region, I asked, actually saw kind of a more a finer kind of a finer presentation of it. Uh, and I I, I describe this in terms of kind of six different modes of leadership, and I think they speak to the type of imagination that is actually required to, uh, to carry this work out. Um, I think about this in, in, in six different ways. I'll, I'll share them and I can share a little bit about each. Um, the first is the caretaker. Um, and the caretaker is the someone who kind of is present to the needs of the community. Um, they are committed to kind of setting the table. Uh, they're getting the right people around the table and they're attentive to the conditions that enable um, people to to gather um, the second one is is the catalyst um, so the catalyst is kind of a change agent within an ecclesial ecology um, kind of their organizing practices they're ideating and innovating uh, they have this kind of hopeful discontent with the status mm-hmm. quo uh, but they always are innovating out of care um, mm-hmm. you know they're not uh, they're not like restless revolutionaries who are just trying to stir up discontent they're actually pushing the boundaries because of care, um, and they're doing so in hopeful ways. Uh, the third one is the champion. Um, so oftentimes you think of champions as somebody who is kind of a senior office holder, um, but I actually found champions kind of across the organizational chart. Um, and these are people who, they first elevate others, um, and they also tell stories. So, the, so they have this ability to tell stories of, of meaning and connection and care uh, they're able to elevate the work of local communities and local leaders. Um, and they champion that. They give it a hearing. They give it a platform and they carry it forth. Um, the fourth one is what I described as the connector convener. Um, I think we talked about this person a little bit earlier, but their kind of core core practice is listening. Uh, they're attentive to local communities. Uh, they're committed to asking questions. Um, and not questions just for curiosity's sake, but questions that actually. Uh, evoke the cares and the needs of local communities um, the, the fifth one is this what I call the surveyor um, and the surveyor is kind of like kind of like a community librarian um, there's somebody who knows the needs of their community uh, they know the people who walk through their doors uh, they're committed to investigating and asking questions but they're also trying to do this translation work uh, they're trying to translate the knowledge that they have to the needs of local communities um, for the transformation of people and communities that they care about, um, and the sixth one is this: this individual that I call a guide. Um, so guides support adaptive change within a broader community um, by coming alongside individuals. Um, I think for each of us, we can probably think about guides. Uh, we can think about people who have come alongside us. You know, I think about. Um, my dad, who's come alongside me in different ways. I think about mentors and teachers. Um, there's this, this kind of like patient presence where uh, they come alongside you and they do so in a way they help you discern the next step. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, what, I think what's really interesting as you think about this imagination, Justin, is that um, it's not a singular expression. You know, there's not, there's not a singular um, tool or tactic or how to guide. Um, but there's actually this range of complementary expressions. There's this range of complementary ways of being with communities that when combined, they can create an environment of really creative, adaptive, and nimble responses to the community challenges communities face.
0: I love that because as you're describing each of those, I'm literally picturing in my head the people you know, in various communities yeah. I've worked with. Yeah, you, that's great. Who, who are each of those types of, of person. And mm. and I guess I would challenge listeners to to do the same because if you can if you can think about those folks who've been that in your life, and I think it's probably the case that you're more able to recognize who those folks are mm-hmm. in your current community if you haven't right. already noticed. So I, I I love that. And I also think it's cool because it like i remember those old spiritual gifts inventories i don't know if people Mm -hmm. still do those but there's like a connection to that too there's people that that have sort of these natural
1: Mm.
0: you know abilities but there's also spiritual giftings in which people are the encourager they really Mm -hmm. are the the person who's able to speak the word of wisdom at the right time and and so this even though. I think you've given them names that that um, don't necessarily have the spiritual connotations that it's easily you could easily mm. put that in with some of the list of spiritual gifts that we see
1: right. right in
0: scripture, which means, and as far as I'm concerned, you're on the right track. Um, Thank you. It, it both lines up with scripture and. I would imagine the experience of most people who've who've been involved in in any of this kind of work are mm. just involved in life right, <laughs> and involved right. in church everyone's mm-hmm. had that person who's come up and been a guide like you said you know maybe a parent or maybe a coach or a preacher youth minister or whatever mm-hmm. um, anyway, yeah. so yeah. about um the organizations that you you worked with you interviewed i think you you took several trips up there from north carolina and, and kind of sat down with different people and and had conversations and all of that um and maybe i need to see if if we can get the connection where you hook me up with some of these folks so i can get some interviews on here but but in the meantime i just i'm wondering what are some of the strategies that that they've put into place to deal with some of the practical realities of whenever whenever we think about organizational stuff, there's financial issues, mm-hmm. um whether you know paying staff or paying for space or paying for um, supplies, whatever it might be, there's there's usually um, a volunteer infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just kind of wonder maybe some of the things you, you witnessed or you heard in, in terms of how they dealt with some of those practical issues that, and then also this speaks to your, your interest and your expertise in, in sort of organizational mm-hmm. work anyway, how,
1: right.
0: how they've been able to pull mm-hmm. these people together, right. because you can have, you know your um. Your champion but maybe they work a nine to five job and or more you know if it's, uh, the reality of the northwest i know is that a lot of places are mm-hmm. quite expensive you know so so how do, how do they pull all that together yeah. i guess is yeah kind of yeah what I yeah get I, at.
1: I think um i think the short answer is there's there's certainly not like a one-size-fits-all so i mm-hmm. think um you know one of i think the great myths about kind of uh, quick fixes to uh, church and organizational change is that there's a single strategy uh, Mm -hmm. that addresses all circumstances. Um, And I think the particularities of these groups and also kind of the broader work that I do as a student of of religious organizations suggest that there's not a one size fits all. Uh, There's not Mm -hmm. a quick fix. Um, But what I think is the case is that um, a like relational proximity and connection to a local community um, enables um, religious organizations and people of faith to have the connections that are required to imagine um, creative um, responses to the challenges that they face. Um, so in each case, neither organization would, wouldn't have come into being uh, without a history of friendship. Um, so this, I think, gets back to some of the work that you're doing. Um, as far as I understand it, where, where friendship creates the conditions, it kind of creates this holding environment for, um, people and communities to have the trust that's required to imagine what are really risky responses. Like mm. in both cases, these were risks, like these yeah. were personal risks. These were organizational risks. So, um, I don't think you can overlook the importance of friendship. Mm. Um, the second thing I've said this already, but just the practice of listening I think far too often when we're trying to think about what needs to change, particularly in a moment of crisis, uh, we rush to response um, instead of slowing down and creating space to listen, listening to ourselves, but also listening to the needs of our communities. Um, I think the third thing is thinking about um, creating connections across um, existing lines of division and distinction. Um, So our organizations are oftentimes built. Um, built as silos. Um, And in order to maintain organizations, uh, there's a certain virtue in that. And in order to have vitality within an organization, particularly an organizational organization that can change, you oftentimes have to be looking beyond the boundaries of an organization. You have to have people who are reaching beyond the boundaries, reaching beyond the boundaries of kind of conventional practice and thought. You have to have kind of this surveyor, somebody who can see the whole landscape and then begin to translate insights and connections for the good of a local community. Um, So those are just some really like practical relational dynamics that I'd point to. Um, I think taking a step back from these organizations, I'd identify three other factors that I think you want to consider. Um, One is just the uh, consideration that. in the region, these two cases suggest that um, there's a move from kind of a pastoral-centric to a congregational-centric approach to religious leadership. Mm. So if in the past, the the pastor has been kind of the central religious figure, um, the challenges that are facing many communities of faith, particularly mainline congregations, are actually um, elevating the importance of the congregation. So Mm. the pastor still has a role, but there's a heightened importance for lay leadership, um, congregational discipleship, um, and uh, theological education for lay leaders. So that lay leaders actually have the ability to think theologically about their context um, and how to respond in thoughtful and creative ways. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think the second thing is, is just you can't overlook the, the value and importance of, of religious philanthropy. Um, in both cases, um, religious, the, religious philanthropy created a certain container to um, support and imagine um, these innovative experiments. Um, they, they, those played out in different ways. Um, in one instance, it was through kind of um, some fairly large grants. Um, and in another instance, it was through kind of some seed grants that created the context for these connections to take place. Um, and that, I think again, you can't overlook how innovation and in congregations and communities of faith happens within a broader ecclesial ecology. Um, and the third thing I would say is is just the, the need to think about um, what a mean, lean, and nimble organization looks like. Um, in both cases, these organizations were really scrappy. Um, they made very few resources go a long way. You know, they stretched um, multi-year grants out to a decade. Um, you know, they worked they worked multiple jobs, they were bivocational, um, So there's just need to, to be scrappy. Um, and again, that comes at a cost, that's high risk. Um, it is not easy, it's difficult to sustain. Uh, but I think the work of these two adaptive hubs um, actually provides models about how to be, be scrappy and innovative and creative with what you do have.
0: I think I have really two more questions for you if you don't mind sure one of them kind of comes out of that discussion is if somebody is even if they really believe in what they're doing if they're working another job and then they're putting lots of energy into this kind of work and then if they're like me they're also thinking about that when they're not there how, how, how did you see folks being healthy, being mentally healthy with, with their families, with their friends, um, these kind of things? Because I, I feel like this, it, it sounds fantastic in a lot of ways, but it also sounds like it could lead to burnout pretty quickly. So I, I'm curious what you have to say about that.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that concern. So, um, you know, the project was more was paying a little bit more attention to like how individuals and communities adapt to their uncertain circumstances. Um, It was a little less attentive to some of these really pressing questions about kind of maybe pastoral care and personal care. Um, So I'm not at all trying to dismiss that. I think it's really, really important. Um, And I think something like that would be just a wonderful, a wonderful topic for Future conversation and future resource research because um, what I did see is that you know this is a risk. It comes at a high cost for these individuals um, and their families, um, but for whatever reason, they're willing to to take that risk because they believe in the work, they care for their communities of faith, and they honestly can't imagine another way another way of doing doing yeah. and pursuing their vocation. Um, what what I can say to to individuals who might uh, find themselves in that role. Is, is just to affirm the value and the importance of the work that they're doing. Um, I think if anything, there's just a heightened need for thoughtful, engaged uh, lay leadership. Um, people who are not necessarily serve, serving in vocational ministry, but are committed to the, the life of a local congregation, local community of faith. Um, communities of faith need you right now. They need you now more than ever. Like, you're the lifeblood of communities of faith. In many ways, you're the heartbeat. Like, you're the connections to the community. Um, local pastors and religious leaders bring so much to the table, uh, but, but their work doesn't exist apart from local people of faith. Uh, yeah. And the second thing, the second thing I point to is uh, to think about the, the vitality and the connections that exist right where they are um, in their workplace in their local neighborhood, Um, even connections in the local congregation. I mean, many congregations are siloed in and of themselves. Um, So I think there's really an invitation to look for connections of, of care and vitality wherever people find themselves uh, and to believe that, that God can and will meet them there.
0: Hmm. So I want to close with this and if you don't mind, Maybe this will get a little more personal. Um, I know that you're you're currently doing some postdoc research, and you're right. not ready to talk about that because you're not far enough along in that research um, to to see where it's going necessarily. But I I can't help but think that this kind of research that you're doing has to have an effect on you, on your life on the way that you and your family interact with communities and churches Mm -hmm. and and so i'm just kind of curious how how has this research influenced this is is one of the the great and terrible things about what we study right like you know i could study organic chemistry and never have to bring that home
1: right right but
0: studying what it means to be Christians in community—you mm-hmm. can't, if you're a Christian—and yeah, you, you can't sort of leave that, mm-hmm. you know, in in the in the dissertation or in the mm-hmm. the writing. It comes home with you. It's a part of becomes mm-hmm. a part of who you are. So I'm just curious if you could talk about that for a minute. How this mm-hmm. has influenced your sort of spiritual walk, your your yeah. friendship with Jesus.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Justin. Yeah, I think, uh, I think the first thing I'd say is I feel like, uh, I feel like it's given me eyes to see. Um, I, feel, uh, I feel a little bit like, um, you know, Saul, Paul on the road to Damascus where through this encounter with these remarkable people of faith and the work that's happening through them, you know, it's almost like kind of the scales fall off your eyes and you see, uh, you see the creative, careful, thoughtful work that's already happening. Um, You know, we were talking earlier about how uh, there's a narrative about the Pacific Northwest where it's um, unchurched Mm. or um, secular or purely post-Christendom. But when you like scratch beneath the surface, you know, there's actually a much more complicated and compelling story where there's actually wonderful, thoughtful, creative people of faith who are really doing wonderful ministry, and there's really pockets of vitality. Um, So it's not like to diminish the the changes that people, the changes that communities are facing and the challenges that come with those, but it's actually to say that it's given me eyes to see the vitality that exists all around us. Um, And then secondly, it's given me eyes to see the vitality that occurs in proximity to connections of care. Um, It's helped me see the ways that my life, my vocation, my work is actually tied up in this ecclesial ecology. You know, I think about the way that I, my life of faith, you know, um, traveled through various congregations, was educated um, in a Christian college, went to theological education, theological institution, found my way among um, religious philanthropy, um, and then have kind of moved in and out of and on the boundaries of kind of new church movements. Um, so it's given me eyes to see kind of the continuity of my own faith journey and vocational journey. Um, and then, and then it's given me tools and resources to think about um, how to support local communities of faith during times of, of transition and uncertainty. Um, the, the work that I'm doing right now with um, a professor, Kate Bowler at Duke is about um, digital connection and community. Um, it's, um, Kind of trying to think about how how we gather in digital spaces, um, and then uh, some of my other work is trying to try to think about how we can reimagine the practices of philanthropy that support and sustain communities of faith during times of transition and uncertainty. Yeah. Um, so so it's just given me you know eyes to see language um, and imagination to um, to just be hopeful. So um, it's given me, me hope about the future of religious organizations. Um, and it's given me um, hope about the types of, of leadership that can support and sustain change even amidst great, great challenges, great uncertainty. Um, but I think there's a hope that, that we can move forward together and that the spirit of God can sustain us. And this is
0: Justin Berenger, the Rogue Minister, signing off with my co-host,
1: Rachel, at Speech Strong Resources. And go check out our show notes. And if you are listening on
0: Apple Podcasts, leave us a review and comment. You can also submit questions, reviews, and comments on our Facebook page. And as always, be faithful to that which you have been called.